Okay, thinking about peace tonight, who do you know that doesn't have peace with God? Somebody is not saved, they don't have peace with God, no matter what they think, or no matter what they try to say or do or fake it, you know, sometimes they don't have peace with God. Who do you know that doesn't have peace with God? Then the second question would be, who is it that maybe the peace of God is not ruling in maybe your life tonight? Because there is a difference between peace with God and the peace of God, right? Peace with God happens the moment you're saved, you always have that. But the peace of God ruling and reigning in your life, that doesn't always happen. And in the book of Philippians, we're not going to turn there tonight, but in the book of Philippians where Paul mentions the peace that passes understanding, the peace of God that passes understanding, he talks to two ladies, Euodius and Syntyche, who are not getting along. And I want to ask you tonight, who do you have trouble getting along with tonight? And where is the peace of God not ruling and reigning in you and in someone else? And I would like for you to just take a moment, bow your head and close your eyes and pray for that person who doesn't have peace with God because they've never been saved. And then pray for that person that you have difficulties with. They may be somebody in your family, maybe somebody in your neighborhood. Could be somebody in the church. Take time to pray for that person and pray about that situation. So go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes, and name those people's names. You don't have to take long with it. Just say, Lord, I'm aware of this, and I know that this person is not right with you, and I'm praying for the gospel to bring them to Christ. Or to say, Lord, I know that my relationship with this person is strained, and I can't do anything about it, but you can. Please bring peace in that situation. The Prince of Peace can do that. Praise His holy name for that. So, Father, we thank you that if you could make peace with us, you can make peace with anybody. And if you could save us, you can save anybody. And that's what we're here tonight to rejoice in. And we thank you for that. And we ask you to do this for those that we've breathed their names out to you that are lost. Oh, Father, please save them. And for those people we just have difficulties with, for whatever the reason may be, we pray for them that the that peace, the peace of God, would even rule over that situation. And thank you for that hope that we have in Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, open our Bibles tonight to Psalm 16. We started it last week and we talked about David's theology. In those first two verses, David understood he could not make himself righteous. He had no goodness apart from God. And uh, that's where everything starts or it ends. You see, if you think you can make yourself right with God, then that's work salvation. And it's always going to be inadequate because it's always going to be sinful. But when you understand that as a sinner, you cannot get to God, but He came to you. And He is the one who sacrificed His Son on the cross and gives you uh, his righteousness and pays for your sin, well, then you're on the right track. So David talked about that. That's even in the Old Testament. Some people don't really see that, but it is clearly, clearly there. And uh, when we get down to verses 4 through 6, David is going to be making a reference to this uh, someone named there. 
okay? And it says, their sorrows shall be multiplied. wonder who he's talking about. Well, he tells us. Their sorrows shall be multiplied. Who, David? Who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. This is written by a man who seemed to do everything right. Have you, have you ever known anybody like that? Somebody who just seems to always make the right decisions, who always seems to be at the right place at the right time. And it seems like that whatever they do, it has the desired results. Have you ever wished you were one of those people? I have. And uh, I've had those times when I thought, man, I wish I could be that person that always said the right thing, always did the right thing, always showed up at the right time, who left at the right time. Uh, that person who could speak the right things in the right way that would bless people, motivate people, persuade people, encourage people, whatever it might be. And also, um, you know, I've had more than one times where I go, man, I, I should have shut up a little sooner than I did. You ever felt like that? We all kind of go through those things. And yet David seems to have it all together. He's that guy that, I mean, he shows up to bring his brother's lunch and ends up killing a giant. How much better does it get than that? And you find a guy that he's running from Saul, the king, and um, he's found Saul in a cave, and he goes into the cave, and he could have killed him, but he doesn't because he knows that's not the right thing to do, and you're not to touch the anointed of God. That has to do with the kings and the priests. And uh, so he cuts off part of his robe and says, Hey, Saul, I could have, but I didn't. See, I mean you no harm. How, how does he always know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it? And you think about the times as king when he had to make judgments with people. And his judgments actually brought 12 tribes of Israel together. For seven years, if I'm remembering right, he reigned in a place called Hebron. And he only reigned on, over two tribes. But in those seven years, he was able to get all of the other tribes together. They were kind of, you know, they were all related to some degree children of Abraham but they were all related to a specific son of uh, Jacob. You remember his 12 sons. And uh, so in all of that, they kind of had family squabbles over land and over herds and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And who you're getting more than I am. Just, you, you ever experienced sibling rivalry? And that's the way these tribes were. He got a bigger piece than I did. He got two and I didn't get two. That was me and my brother all the time. And, uh, you know, all of that comparison. And David somehow was the guy in his wisdom that brought all of them together. And then they moved the capital and, and, and David reigns from Jerusalem. Okay? What, what a guy. He just always seemed to have it together. When he wants to build a temple for the Lord, the Lord says, Hey, 
that's a great thing that you want to do. You're just not the guy to do it. And David says, okay, then I'll start collecting the materials so my son can do it. He just always seemed to kind of have it together, didn't he? Until that one night that he was walking on the roof of his palace and happened to look and see Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was bathing. I always thought it was kind of funny that her name was Bathsheba and she was taking a bath when this all happened. I don't know, it's just kind of weird to me. But uh, David didn't intend for anything to happen, but it did. And this is the guy that if you had ever been shocked, I mean, sometimes we hear about somebody who falls into sin or abandons the faith, and sometimes it just shocks us. I can't believe that happened. Well, David would have been one of those people. He's the guy who is called a man after God's own heart, and yet, man, did he ever blow it. And we say, well, you know, things can happen. Boys will be boys. Well, it wasn't just a deal like that. She ends up getting pregnant, as you know. And uh, when he gets word that she's pregnant, then uh, he brings Uriah, her husband, home and says, Hey, buddy, uh, you know, what a hero. And gives him a medal and has a banquet in his honor and says, Now, now go home and, and uh, spend the night with your wife. You know what I mean? Wink, wink, nod, nod. And uh, so what happens? Uriah doesn't do that. And David is like, uh, what? He didn't? No, he stayed at the, at the king's gate all night. Well, what's wrong with this guy, you know? And uh, so he tries again, gets him drunk and, and uh, that type of stuff and tries to get And even drunk, Uriah was a better man than David at that situation. Am I right about that? Had more honor, had more integrity than David did. And David is trying to not only cover up what he has done, but he is going to allow his own kid to be raised by Uriah. A kid with, in the Davidic bloodline, and good night, we know all about that from our Bible, right? Who's in the bloodline of David? Jesus is. And David has been promised that. He has no idea where that son's going to come from, but he's going to deny this one in order to protect himself and let this kid be raised, you know, as a common person, maybe in poverty, I don't know. And uh, boy, Uriah's just not cooperating. So then the sin goes from maybe a second look to adultery to deceiving Uriah and trying to cover up his sin and it ends up with what? Murder. Never saw that one coming. Man, I might have seen David and go, well, you know, we all have our problems, but whew, he crossed a line there and crossed several lines, didn't he? And we look at that and we say, what, what in the world happened to David? Well, <coughs> excuse me, when we read this particular psalm, the verses that we're looking at, we see the things that kept David faithful because in this he had a temptation. There were people in Israel, some Israelites, who were still going to the tabernacle and they were still offering their lambs and they were still singing the songs, some of David's songs probably, and they were still doing all of that. But you know what they were also doing? They were also maybe slipping in some things over at the temple to Baal. They were still going with some of the Canaanites and kind of, you know, participating in some of their things. And it was more than just going to a Canaanite 
uh, church, so to speak, they were participating in their rituals. And a lot of those were sexual. A lot of those were very, very immoral and very nasty. And uh, we won't even go into all of that kind of stuff. And they were participating in those kind of things and eating the foods that they were not supposed to eat that Moses had forbidden. And they were getting involved in rituals that they weren't supposed to be involved in. And they were praying to false gods and bowing down before them. And, you know, you notice in here when you read this, David says, not me. I'm going to stay away from all of that. Man, David, at this point, what a great guy. He doesn't even give in to peer pressure. He doesn't give in to the things that were kind of uh, becoming acceptable in Israel at that time. You know how we do. We look at those things that we go, oh, that's disgusting, that's despicable, I'll never have anything to do with that. And ten years later, then we're kind of like having something to do with it and laughing about it and, and being involved in it. And our whole convictions change and we confuse our kids and other people around us. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a conservative Christian. I thought you were a Bible-believing Christian. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, legalism, we like to throw that out a lot. And sometimes that may be the case, and we need to repent of legalism. That's sinful. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just our excuse. And it's just we wanted to drift. We wanted to compromise. We wanted to do that. And maybe all those times when the other people were doing it and we couldn't, well, we're holy, and we would never do anything like that. Yeah, but on the inside, oh, man, doggone it, we sure want to. I wish I wasn't this kind of a Christian. I wish I didn't believe it. I wish I was going to some other denomination where they would let you do that. You ever known anybody like that? Maybe you felt like that a time or two. Felt like you were missing out. Well, David was not like that. He was stalwart in all of this. David was unyielding and unbending and uncompromising in all of this. Well, what were the things that we find in here that kept him faithful. And these are the same things that would have kept him from the uh, thing with Bathsheba. These are the things that would have kept him from trying to deceive and use Uriah as a cover-up for his sin. These are the things that would have kept him from becoming a murderer. These are the same things that will keep us from delving into any kind of sin as well. And so, number one, we notice here that uh, for David, he made a wise comparison. When he talks about these people that are not being faithful to the Lord like he is, the very first thing he says is, their sorrows shall be multiplied. Now, I want to I stop right there and just say, with everything you know about David, whenever David compromised and sinned like he did so greatly with Bathsheba and in murdering her husband... What happened to him? His sorrows were greatly multiplied. Because while David may have never been guilty of bowing before Baal or Ashtaroth or anything like that, basically when he committed adultery and when he committed murder, he was, he was bowing down before another god. Not a god that you could see, but the same one who would go before David's son, Jesus Christ, and say, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow and worship me. Isn't it kind of the same thing? David, you deserve this. 
David, you can do this. You're the king after all. And David, you've been serving God and denying yourself all of these years. Hey, to quote the old McDonald's commercials, you're all old, so you get it. You deserve a break today, right? Come on, just one time. What's it going to hurt? Nobody's ever going to know. Just, just, I mean, she's pretty. She's better looking than Saul's daughter that, you know, is your first wife here. She's a battle axe, man. You know, just, just one time, no big deal. And she's willing, no big deal. Many sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Now, I want you to notice that's an interesting phrase, who hasten after another God. It's interesting that they weren't just worshiping another God. They couldn't wait. Kind of like David with Bathsheba. Go get her and hurry. Go get her now. I want her now. I mean, can't you hear that? And that's the way these people were when David was younger about these other gods. They'd go to the tabernacle. They'd offer their lamb. Come on, come on, Rabbi, hurry up. I got a place. I got some place I need to be. And uh, they would finally get through with all of that. And then they would take off. And where were they going? To meet with their Canaanite neighbors and friends at the temple of Baal. Because they had things they needed to do. And man, this is a whole lot more fun than being in church. You see it? They hasten after another God. And so David is referencing here to fellow Jews, fellow Israelites... And they claim Yahweh God, but they don't hasten to him. They hasten to other gods. We sing, I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Well, they were saying, I'm going to hasten the other way. I got things to do, places to go, people to see. And so uh, they worship at the tabernacle when it suits them, when it looks good, when it's the right holiday, when it's for the family and all of that kind of thing. But God doesn't enter into any of it. They're just going to do whatever pleases them and what they want to do. And uh, when life turns on them, they run to false gods. You see, this hastening to another god is no accident. They didn't stumble into any of this. They ran to it. It's an intentional thing. So David is looking at them and he's saying, that's not the way to go. They are going to a place of tremendous sorrow and I don't want to go there. And so at this point in his life, David's right. And this is what's keeping him faithful. In 1 John 2, 19, it says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us but they went out why that it might become plain that they all that they all are not of us you see false converts have been a problem in the church going all the way back to the very beginning right people that just kind of play uh things and they say okay well i'll try this I, you know, I've actually heard people say when they're wanting someone to get saved, why don't you try Jesus? There have been songs, you know. Why don't you try Jesus? You don't try Jesus. He's not a shoe that you put on and see if he's comfortable and then cast him away. He's not like trying Brussels sprouts. Ah, that turns my stomach just thinking about it. And, uh, you know, you try it and ju just try, your mom says. Just try it, 
You know? Or the old Alka-Seltzer commercial, again appealing to all of the old people. Try it. You'll like it. Remember? And the guy tries it and he has, ends up having to have the Alka-Seltzer in it. I mean, you don't do that with the Lord. But with the Lord, it is a commitment of your life. It's faith in Him and it's a surrender of your life to Him. And there are just some people that are not willing to do that. They'll try Him for a while, but it's not working out. I'm not making any more money. I don't have any more friends. I thought I would come to church and find Mr. Right. They didn't come to worship God. They came. I mean, we want people to find Mr. Right, if you're a girl, to find Mr. Right. But that's not the whole reason to come to church, is it? And it's so easy to get the wrong priorities. I come because I have friends. I come because the preacher's entertaining or something. I come because I like the music. I come because of whatever. And, and Jesus is just way down on the list. So I challenge you to take a look at that tonight and make a good comparison. Other people do not have it better than you. Uh, they are, their sorrows are going to be multiplied. Okay, number two. Let's talk about a firm conviction. And he says, their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. I think when he talks about what names there that he would take up, the names of false gods. And I think when you uh, look at this with the offering, the blood offering, he could be talking about the Lord. A blood offering, you know, the sacrifice of a, an unblemished lamb or something like that. Could be. Well, surely David would take that up. No, he doesn't want to be like them. Even if they are pretending to do what is right, he knows it is fake. We don't want to follow on that. We don't need anything like that. Or he may be talking about the blood sacrifice or offering that they would give to false gods. Either way, David is saying, look, I've noticed them. I know who they are. And nope, I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not even going to let the name of their gods, their false gods, uh, I don't even want that to be on my lips. My lips are reserved for the praise of the true and the living God. So true believers cannot and must not compromise on any of the essentials like that. Now, the fakes have no problems giving offerings to any god. In fact, they're kind of looking at it like this. Well, you know, it's a good thing to go to church every once in a while. It's not really what I believe, but it can't hurt to go to church. It's kind of a good thing. It's good for women and children, some man might say. And, you know, you ought to go to church some. But here's where the action really is. This is what I hasten to. Okay? And uh, they don't have any problem playing the game anywhere, anytime, with any belief. It doesn't really matter uh, what they will do they're willing to do anything David says not me I'm just not willing to do that I'm not willing to compromise my integrity I'm not willing to compromise my morals and you know we get tempted with that every day sometimes we call it a little white lie but it still compromises our integrity and our morals and so they'll give any offering at any time to any God including the true God I mean what can it hurt? Don't really love him. Don't really know him. Just trying to cover all my bases. And uh, God is now just kind of like a, you know, a good luck charm, a rabbit's foot, a horseshoe, or something like that. What a terrible thing to do to the God who brought them out of Egypt, the God who brought them through the Red Sea, the God who made the walls of Jericho fall, the God who gave them that land, and the God who set David up 
as king. And so he's not going to do anything or even take up the name of those gods. There's a complete separation and there's no mixed message. You know, we give a mixed message sometime. I love God. He's been so good to me. And then when some tragedy happens, oh, I just can't bear to go to church. I just can't bear to do anything for the Lord. And don't you know people look and they say, mm, what, what happened? Where, where's this sovereign, loving, powerful God? And where are you right now? It's kind of like uh, somebody saying, God is in control of everything. Knock on wood. Get it? It doesn't make any sense. And yet a lot of people kind of give that message out to their family. They give that to their children. They give that to their neighbors. And they wonder why there's no power in what they do. In other words, if God is the true and the living God, and there's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, and this God is a loving, powerful God who is also sovereign over all things and a God who hates sin, we've got to live like that. And we got to quit confusing everybody and making them think that God is changing his mind or he's fickle or something like that. That's a horrible thing to do. And God, by the way, is not unfaithful. It's, it, it is uh, we who are unfaithful, right? Joshua said in Joshua 24, 14, and 15, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, false gods, or the gods of the Amorites, more false gods, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the lord amen i mean you look at that and you go wow what a great statement well that's the way david was living at this particular time in matthew chapter 4 verse 10 then jesus said to him the devil be gone satan for it is written you shall worship the lord your god and him only shall you serve and so we don't live in this world where we say i'll take a little bit of hinduism and a little bit of shintoism and a little bit of catholicism and a little bit of mormonism and a little bit of baptist and, a, and we'll mix it together boy that'll just be great you're not smart enough to pick out the best of any of those and they are all tainted and the Bible says you are to serve the Lord, not in a mixture like these people were doing in David's day, but to be like David was at this point and have your heart fully set upon the Lord. Boy, that'll keep you faithful if you have a firm conviction. Thirdly, if you have an unwavering confidence. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, cast not away your confidence, you know, and we, uh, uh, when everything's going great, sunshine and roses, boy, we're just, God is so good. But then when the storm clouds come and the petals fall off of the roses and you get stuck by the thorn, then all of a sudden we're not quite so sure. No, we've got to be confident in the Lord at all times. Oh, Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. 
And so uh, when we look at that, he's using the image of inheriting land and inheriting an estate. And he's saying, you're what I inherit. You are what blesses me. You are what enriches my life. Now, we can say amen to that until we look around and say, it seems like everybody in the world has more than I do. Where, where did I go wrong? Where, where did I mess up? Why, why don't I have all of that? And then all of a sudden we change. We've got to have confidence in the Lord no matter what is happening. So what did the false gods have to offer you? And if we were to ask that for David, David, what did the false gods have to offer you? You know what his answer would be? Nothing. You know why? Because they're dead. They're dead. The dead do not give. They have no power. They have no ability. They don't have anything to give you. David said, why would I go looking at them? You know, why would I run to the cemetery to find somebody that can uh, be my, um, uh, my trainer? Hey, this guy right here, man, he was a great, a great Hollywood star. Maybe I can come here to his grave and I can talk to him and he'll teach me how to win an Academy Award. If anybody cares about that anymore. You know what? You say... Well, that's kind of silly. You need to go to somebody who's alive, right? If I want to learn how to fix cars, I don't go to a mechanic who's dead and buried. I go to someone who is alive and who can tell me and who can show me all of that. Well, that's the futility of worshiping idols. They have no power or ability to give anything. And false religions, they promise a lot of stuff, but God gives you something better than stuff. He gives you himself. And when you get saved, you get God. He's your inheritance. He is uh, what you receive from the Lord. And in that, you have His presence all the time in every situation. You have His promises. You have His power. And you have His provision. He takes care of all of your needs. And I was thinking about that and reminded of Psalm 115. And uh, it says in verse 2, why should the nations, the Gentiles, the ungodly, say, where is their God, the Israeli God? And then David answers, our God is in the heavens. He's not some stupid idol. He's in the heavens. And he does all that he pleases. Now, their idols are silver and gold. Looks valuable. The work of human hands. Well, they have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but... They can't see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel. And feet, but they do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Now, those who make them become like them to do all, uh, so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You see? Same temptations come up today, just in different forms. Go for the money. Go for the silver. Go for the gold. Go for whatever. That's what will make you happy. And yet so many times we find that there's nothing but failure and heartache with all of that. Trust in the Lord. Lord. And number four, 
Notice that David, he's staying faithful because he had a satisfying contentment. Okay, 21st century Americans, there's our sin, isn't it? We don't have very much contentment today. And I'm afraid that even spiritual contentment, I need God to give me something. Oh, well, that wasn't what I wanted, so I'll go somewhere else and I'll get what I want and I'll determine what I want to give. See, God doesn't lay out a smorgasbord or a cafeteria before you and say, what would you like? Would you like a little of this? Would you like a little of that? Sometimes God gives me Brussels sprouts. Cauliflower. I really hate cauliflower. You know why? I was four years old. I must have been because I wasn't in kindergarten yet. I was at a babysitter's house and they had cauliflower. And that, uh, the, the man was home with his wife and both of them were watching. I liked the, the wife. I didn't care much for the man. And uh, he told me I had to eat the cauliflower. I didn't like cauliflower. So uh, he made me eat it. And um, I ate it. And I threw up in my plate. And you know what that joker did? He picked me up and used a belt on my rear end. Yeah. So you know what? Cauliflower now. My daughter-in-law tried to sneak cauliflower that looked like mashed potatoes. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Don't like it. And you know what? Sometimes God gives me Brussels sprouts and cauliflower. Well, I don't like that. Well, if you're hungry, you'll eat it. You ever heard that from anybody? If you're hungry, you'll eat it. Well, I don't like this. You know, sometimes in life I get some things I don't like. Some things I don't care for. And the Lord is teaching me to be grateful and to be content with what I have. And if I'm not careful, I'm always looking, well, how come they got peanut butter and jelly and I got cauliflower? Because I want you to have cauliflower. I want you to eat. You need the cauliflower. I always hated that when my parents would tell me something like that. You need to eat that. You can't just eat the other. Why can't I eat what I want all the time? Yeah, because you'll get diabetes and have heart problems. <laughs> they were right, weren't they? That make you mad? They were right. I should have eaten more cauliflower and Brussels sprouts, except the way that I would probably like it. It would probably ruin all the health benefits. I mean, if you take them and smother them in bacon grease and pile cheese on them so you can't taste the Brussels sprouts, I'm good. Okay. And that's the way I am with broccoli, put enough of the cheese stuff on it. I'm good for it and a lot of other things like that. And uh, <laughs> thus, I'm uh, 63 years old and I still have problems eating right, you know. Now I can tell my grandchildren, no, you can't have that. You must eat the, you know, but it doesn't work so much for me. Physician, heal thyself, right? So I look at that and I find that I have trouble being content over this one issue. Because I don't want what God gives. I want what I want. Now, you're looking really spiritual at me. You guys must have conquered this already, have you? I mean, that's where we live. And we live in a society and a culture where we have anything we want. Can you imagine what our ancestors would think about our supermarkets? You know, you don't have to go back very many generations. 
where you probably have people in your family, your people who never had an orange. Or if they did, they had it one time a year and it wasn't very good. You can get them anytime you want. Isn't that amazing? We had a guy up here one time from Venezuela and we uh, took him, uh, he was with Enrique Montoya and we took him, Brother Dale and I took him to uh, uh, Golden Corral or Western Sizzlin or something like that. And uh, the, the young man that was with Enrique just could not believe all the food and the variety of the food. He had gone into a supermarket and he had never seen that much food and all of the varieties. I wonder where he is today because Venezuela is a mess. At that time it was pretty prosperous. Now it's a mess. I pray for those people we went down there on two mission trips and ministered to them. And we supported them in a lot of ways. You ought to remember them and pray for the First Baptist Church of Guanare, uh, Venezuela. And think about how they're living. You know, I heard a report that they were eating zoo animals. They were eating roadkill just to keep their families alive. Can you imagine? And they love God just like you do. I would say... They're getting some cauliflower. What about persecuted believers in Iran? What about persecuted believers in China, in Cuba, in North Korea, in places like that? You ever think about them? What about somebody who's in a prison cell for doing nothing more than what you're doing tonight, coming to church? They can't go anywhere. They can't eat anything they want to eat. They can't be with their friends. They can't fellowship and do all of that. I wonder what life is like for them. You see, sometimes, sometimes your heavenly father gives you cauliflower and Brussels sprouts or liver or whatever you, it is you don't really like. Man, it's hard to be content because we're used to getting it our way. Burger King, you know, have it your way. We're used to having it the way that we want it. And that's what causes us trouble. Because you see, when David got up on the roof of his palace that one night, years after he wrote this psalm, and he's walking around and he happens to look over the top of his roof down, everybody else's house was lower, and he saw Bathsheba. I wonder what happened to him. I'm going to venture to guess discontentment is the first thing that popped up. He didn't have a real happy marriage to uh, Michael, Saul's daughter that he was given for killing Goliath. She made fun of him. She was hard to live with. She didn't share his values or anything like that. He had some other wives too. Maybe it was a little bit better. But nothing like that one. And can't you imagine the enemy going, Hey, you got some wives. You know, David, you got, you got some wives, but... Whoa, man. And David gave into it because he got discontented. How many sins do you fall into that hurt you and hurt your testimony and hurt your walk with God that are traced back? The root cause is just discontentment. You just didn't like what God gave you. You just didn't really want that. And so you went out to find something on your own. And David says... Not me. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Proverbs 10, 22, we're just about done. Uh, says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. 
and he adds no sorrow with it. Boy, the world can't say that. The world makes you rich, and they add all kinds of heartache in it. But not the Lord. Adds no sorrow with it. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. But wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. Boy, one day you're going to get everything you've ever dreamed of for eternity. Just hold on and be faithful till then. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money. There's a big one for us, isn't it? And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The writer of Hebrews seems to be saying what David says. Hey, what are you so concerned about what's in your bank account or what's not? You've got God. The creator of the universe. He's promised to meet all your needs and to take care of you. Never leave you or forsake you. What more could you ask for? You've got it all. You literally have it all when you have the Lord Jesus, right? We forget that, don't we? But you do. You are most blessed. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, what things? Well, Lot taking the best land and... Lot being captured and Abraham has to rescue him and then Abraham being visited by Melchizedek. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Well, what if we thought of our God like that? What if that really was something we embraced and believed? What a difference that would make. So we need to remember that the Lord is faithful regardless of the circumstances around you. So trust Him and serve Him and be content in Him and be content with Him. Because discontentment leads to unfaithfulness. I'm going to close by uh, what Paul said at the end of his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas, who loves this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. What happened? He just wasn't content being in the ministry anymore. Just wasn't content traveling with Paul. Been a great thing to travel with Paul before, but now, you know, I've heard all this stuff. And there's a whole other world out there waiting for me. Bye, Paul. See you later. You're going to leave me here in this prison? Leave me here to die alone? Sorry, stinks to be you, doesn't it? And he took off. And so Paul writes this sad chapter at the end of his life to Timothy, saying, Timothy, come quickly. I need you, and I need you desperately. And bring John Mark with you, for he's profitable for ministry. And bring my cloak, because it's cold. And bring the books, especially the parchments. He wanted to read and wanted to read the Word of God. Why was he in that shape? Because one of his faithful followers, or formerly faithful followers, like David, got discontent with the work of the Lord, and there he is, he's gone. You know anybody like that? I could name names of some people that you would know. And it makes me sad to think about that, and it ought to make you sad. But here's the thing, I can't do anything about them And you can't do anything about them. But here's 
the way we end tonight. You can do something about you. And if you'll put these four things into your life and live by these four things, I'll promise you, since I see free down here, I think about Wayne and think about what it says on his tombstone. He wanted to finish how? Well. You'll finish well if you'll have these things into your life and into your heart. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we fall so short of the glory of God. And even in these things, we're so fickle. We're hot, we're cold, we're off, we're on, we're up, we're down, we're excited, we're bored. All of these kind of things come into our life. Please forgive us. And thank you that you don't do that. Thank you that you're not like that about us. Thank you that you love us with an everlasting, consistent, maximum love. Thank you that you're always working everything in our lives for good, according to Romans 8, 28. Thank you, Father, that um, we can be content in you. But we have to learn that. And thank you for being so patient with us. Uh, We get tired of being like a toddler who just wants the orange sippy cup. And uh, that's about as deep as we get sometimes spiritually. Thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for growing us in grace and knowledge. Thank you for sanctifying us. And thank you, Lord, that one day, either through death or through your return, we are going to be in a place where we're free from the very presence of sin forever. Thank you for that. Bless these people for being here tonight. Bless our students and adults who are down in Arlington, at Mission Arlington tonight. Keep them safe. Bless them as they minister and as they serve, as they feed hungry people, as they teach little children the Word of God. Help them in all of that, Lord, and bless those people down there. And uh, I think about the work that we've done at Roosevelt Middle School, helping those kids who are so destitute and so desperate. Oh, Father, may through our good works... May they glorify our Father who is in heaven and come to know Him as their Savior and Lord. And help us in our day-to-day lives to be content, joyful, happy in all the things You have given us and all that You do for us. Help us in our trials not to forsake You, not to forget You, not to jump ship. Help us, Lord, to be consistent and to give a consistent message And I pray that you'd bless our church, bless our services this next Sunday for your glory and honor. And we've got Easter coming up very shortly. And Lord, I pray that you would bring people here, remind us to invite people here that on a day when they'll at least come, we might be able to meet them, to get to know them, to be friendly to them, and to share the gospel with them. And uh, help us to be faithful and have that always on our mind, all because you have been so very good to us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.